Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, this week's show, again, I say it every time, I'm so excited to talk to our guests, but... (laughs) This is at a a, a totally different level, so unexpected. But let's jump into the quick review of the week. I got a a review from Eric from Canada. So Eric from Canada, we're international folks, we're international. Eric from Canada says, I appreciate everything Dan and his guests are doing for me. The Journey of a Christian Dad podcast provide guidance to us dads in a unique manner. They simply relay the massive responsibility we have raising our children in today's increasingly confusing world. Our children are one of God's greatest gifts to us, and we need help, he says. I'm 23 years into this journey myself, and I wish this info was available to me years ago. Self-help books always put me to sleep, but these podcasts are gold. Keep up the positivity. So thank you, Eric from Canada. I appreciate it greatly. And now... Let's get started with this week's guest. We have got Nikita Koloff. He's very well known for being the NWA National Heavyweight Champion, the NWA World Tag Team Champion, NWA Hall of Famer, and gosh, when I think of him, I think of all the cage matches and the chains. He's been involved in more cage matches than anybody I can think of. Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast, Nikita Koloff. Dan, just a, what an honor and a privilege to, to be with you. And even that introduction brings back memories. So. Oh, so good. So good. So we got introduced by Tracy Jones. She's the daughter of Charlie Tremendous Jones, and she runs the Tremendous Leadership Academy uh, for her father. And it was the coolest thing. She just sends like the briefest little, hey, you guys should talk. And I'm like, this name says Nikita Koloff, <laughs> the Russian nightmare. <laughs> I, I told her Dan when I, when I, when I told her we connected and, and you were familiar, she's like, Oh my gosh, for real. I go, yeah, apparently. Uh, so she, she had no idea. She was, she had yeah, no idea. She did not put the Russian nightmare. She didn't put anything about wrestling. She said, you guys should talk. You guys will get along. And that was it. And I'm like, there's like about a 0% chance that this is the Russian nightmare, but, and then you replied and you're like, Oh, by the way, I have a podcast too. I'm like, really? And I flipped through your guests and I'm like, this is the Russian nightmare. This is unreal. And, and with Tracy Jones, as one of the guests, right? So yes, I know. Yes. So amazing. That's one of awesome. my buddies, I told him you were coming on and he goes, tell him to speak English. I'm like, that, that won't be a problem. <laughs> uh, you know, what's amazing about that. Even with the advent of the internet and, and you know, just how wrestling's been exposed to that point. All the time, people are like, where's your accent? And <laughs> it retired when I retired, right? So you can still do it, though. Throw throw us a little something. Well, you know, comrade, I can put a little something out there if I have to, you know. But, <laughs> <laughs> and that brings back, usually brings back memories for folks as well. 
Oh, so good. Because that was one of my first thoughts. I'm like, oh boy, I, I'm going to really have to listen close and really pay attention. And I wonder how this is going to sound on a podcast. And then I hit a couple of clips and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but part, part of the story, I was doing a, a quick story. I was doing an autograph signing with uh, another wrestling peer, Lex Luger, who now is a, a brother in the Lord and, and co-facilitates a a camp with me. We do a lot of ministry together, but we were doing an autograph signing in, in Virginia and I'm signing away. And all of a sudden I hear this woman speak fluent Russian. I'm like, Oh dear Lord, here we go again. Cause I, I don't speak Russian for the record. I, I know a few words, but that's, a, that's about it. And, and so, you know, I'm like, well, if I ignore her, maybe she'll go away. Well, she's not going anywhere. And she says something else. And I finally look up and I make eye contact with her and she's like glowing, you know, she's got this little, little kid with her. And I look at her, I go, ma'am, I go, I'm not really from Russia. And she went from a glow to like a scowl. Like she took a step back. She goes, you're not really from Russia. You know, she had kind of this broken accent. She goes, I drove three hours here to meet you. You know, her hero, right? right. And, and you're not. I go, ma'am, it was just a character that I portrayed. It was just part of the persona. She was so mad, Dan. She never did get an autograph. I felt sorry for the oh little kid. Oh, my goodness. Six hours in the car, and I, I, I burst her bubble of, of her of her hero, you know? Well, yeah. a quick cursory internet search. 30 seconds would have revealed that. I, I know. Maybe saved her six hours, or at least, you know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's just one of many stories. That is incredible. So it's awesome you brought up Lex Luger, like, right away. Guy that's in our community, a guy named Robert Lamb. He's like, hey, have you ever read, you know, Lex Luger's book, Wrestling with the Devil? And he tells me a little bit about it. I'm like, no way. That, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Lex had a, a, a transformational encounters April 23rd, 2006. And I began to, I reconnected with him uh, just a couple months after that out in Phoenix at an athletes conference, a Christian conference. And, and, and after about 11 year, really uh, separation or hiatus uh, from, from our wrestling careers, and then began to to really just mentor him, pour into him, help to help disciple him, and uh, that led to us doing so many ministry things together. And in addition, like I said, we still do some autograph signings and that sort of thing. But ministry is the first focus. But man, he loves the Lord. That's so cool. Did you have any idea that you had a purpose for your life outside of wrestling? Did I? Yeah. No. So so what's interesting is. If I look back, even to my childhood, I can go back to age 12 when I picked up a muscle magazine called Iron Man, and I was enamored by the guys in the magazine, and, and remember making a statement saying, one day, I'm going to look like one of those guys, and then, and then you know, bought a weight set, started lifting, and then started watching football, got a vision for, for playing football. At age 12, Dad, I, fe I feel like I, I laid out my whole life. I had the whole plans laid out at age 12. Little did I know at age 34, fast forward, and I find myself at an altar surrendering my life to Jesus. And for the first time, I find out, oh, somebody else has a plan for my life. God has a plan for my life, a plan and a purpose uh, greater than me. And, and so that was uh, revelatory. Yeah. When you're, you know, got us a mission that is totally separate and maybe you think wrestling and bodybuilding is the thing. And then it gets revealed to you that no, 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 all that was to help later in life. Yeah. Re really just 
honestly, preparation, I say this, I go, well, the whole wrestling story is crazy in and of itself. That's why I had, I ended up having to write a, a book about my life story to fill, fill in the gaps for everybody. You know, when I look at my wrestling career, breaking in the way I did, which was totally different from anybody else, you know, what did I do in wrestling? I flew in airplanes, I rented cars, I stayed in hotels, I talked to microphones in front of cameras, entertaining people for a living. Then I give my life to the Lord. And now I look back the last 28 years and, oh, I know I fly in airplanes, I rent cars, I stay in hotels, I talk on microphones in front of cameras, not to entertain crowds, although I can do that, but it's to bring a, a much greater message, the good news and the gospel to the world. And so I look at my wrestling career as nothing more than the God's sense of humor uh, and, and part of my training for the ultimate call on my life and, and, and the mandate that he set in place for me, set in motion. Yeah, that's a great point. The training that we go through prepares us for what's to come, whatever that might be. And we might not have any idea of what's to come. So that's really, really cool that the, not only the bodybuilding and the, in the ring activity, but then also all the other things outside of the ring prepared you for what you've been doing for years now. Yeah, it, it really did. And I had a neat uh, illustration, another neat illustration of that. Uh, my pastor, Jay Stewart, was planting a new church in Concord, North Carolina. I was actually living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. And, and I just got back from a mission trip in Africa, South Africa. And he said, hey, we're planting a new church. Guess what building we got? And I go, I don't know. I don't have a clue. He goes, well, we got your old gym building. I go, get out of here. What? He goes, no, for real. We got your old gym building. We're we're going to transform that thing from a, a gym into a church. And so, you know, I, I felt led to move back and be a part of that. And I literally got to watch that building transform from a weightlifting facility. You know, I say training physical muscles right. to becoming a facility to train spiritual muscles, if you will. And, and then it hit me. I'm like, wow, this, this kind of parallels my own life right before me in, you know, in, in the physical. So yeah, another little cool story. I want to go back to your childhood, but before we do, since we're talking about physical, what do you think about physical training, uh, helping you in life? Uh, any, any quick thoughts on that? I think it's an important part of our overall health. What I mean by that in 2015, God gave Lex and I a, a vision for a conference in a camp. So I do a one day conference called man up man up. Uh, and then we do these camps called man camp, simply man camp, but it centers around Dan around first Thessalonians five twenty three, being whole, whole in spirit, soul, and body. And in my, my view of that is being healthy, healthy, spiritually, healthy, emotionally, mentally, healthy, physically, you know, and again, as a, we're representing Christ out there to the world, and, and our physical health, I feel, plays an important role. And they're all interconnected. So, I mean, if you're suffering physically, you know, at some point it's probably gonna it's probably gonna impact you mentally, emotionally, and ultimately spiritually. I mean, they're all interconnected. So you can't, so it is important to to balance the three and not just be so laser focused. Oh, oh I just want to grow spiritually and I, I I'll I won't pay any attention to my health and the next thing, you know, my physical health. And the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're sick, you, you got, you know, disease, you, you know, all the, cause you didn't pay attention. So I think it's super, and it's super important part of our overall health. 
Yep, absolutely. Well, thanks for drilling that down. I, I believe in the physical training as well, whatever that might be for people, but you gotta, you gotta take care of your body as well as your mind and your spirit for sure. Yeah. And, and, and it's my attitude. Something is better than nothing. Yes. So, I mean, you don't have to join a gym and try and look like, you know, Mr. America, you know, just, just be active, just be active. And take we've got those, uh, those bands, those stretchy bands at the house. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. My daughter sees me stretching my legs and doing different things and she's nine and she's a pretty, pretty tough girl. And she says, dad, yeah. this is nothing. I'm like, well, my body works a little different than yours and it needs a little help stretching and things. And she right. can do the splits and all that. And she goes, she starts doing curls with it. She goes, is this working out? I'm like, well, I mean, it is, it looks a little bit easy for you, but yeah, even lighter, less strenuous stuff still counts as working out. So she's trying to. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so That's it's cool awesome. when the kids look, look to us for that leadership. And by her seeing me train and do things, she then trains and does things on her own. So that's pretty cool. So it, loved to, oh, go it ahead. is. And, and to, to that point, you know, for, for your audience, you know, as men, as dads, I mean, they're watching it. Just that example, they're watching, they're paying attention. I think my oldest daughter, Taryn, quick story on her, you know, she was little, you know, probably nine, 10, like whatever. She's like, dad, I hate the taste of water. I'm like, well, get over that because your body's made up mostly of water. All she wanted to drink was soft drinks. I'm like, well, that ain't oh, happening. You know? That ain't going to work. And, and she's 39 now. She probably wouldn't want me to say that, but she is. And, but if I go over to her house, you know, spend some time, which I do fairly often, she carries a thermos with her everywhere she goes. And it's not soda pop in there. It's water. It, it's, it's water in there. It, it, yeah, there, there you go. Uh, yeah, exactly. I just finished my glass before we got on. Nice. And, and but I'd like to think because of what I modeled and for them and imparted, you know, into them, you know, they're now living it out. So that's that's crucial as a dad, as a man of God, to in terms of what we model for our children and for the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a chance. I, I meant to start uh, the podcast talking about kind of your childhood and upbringing. I know a little bit about it, but it uh, seems like our parents are such a big impact on us, both dad and mom, and dads have a pretty dang big influence, whether they're present or not present. Can you talk about a little bit of your upbringing? Yeah, and because it, it, it's a, that's a, a cool story as well. You know, I had some very humble beginnings. I wasn't always a, a world champion in pro wrestling. Some very humble beginnings. Um, officially it was called the Minneapolis housing authority. We affectionately called it the ghettos of the projects of Minneapolis. And I mean, I could see the Minneapolis skyline, you know, from my, from my door. And we were that close to, to the, to the downtown. And, and those were the early years where, where life began. And, and I was raised by a, a single mom. My dad left when I was about three and I was the youngest of four. And he didn't really support the family financially. So therefore we defaulted to welfare. So I can remember all the little special, humiliating, embarrassing food tickets, you know, that we had to hand in at school to get our lunches and all that sort of thing. And my mom would eventually move us out to the suburbs, a suburb called Robbinsdale, Robbinsdale, Minnesota. 
And it was there that life, you know, things took a turn for me. And that's, again, that's where I, basically, that's where I picked up that muscle magazine. That's where, where things began to change for me. My focus began to change. Obviously, I didn't have a dad in the home, you know, to model anything for me, good or bad. And so in one sense, that may have actually been a blessing in disguise. And what I mean by that is, you know, he was a, a, a professed alcoholic for 25 years he did give his life to Jesus at age 46 when he says, uh, I grabbed the old rugged cross. And it was a genuine encounter. It changed his life. He went on to live another 46 years. So he lived to age 92. He came back into my life, Dan, in college. He started coming to my college football games. But it was more like a, a casual friendship than it was a father-son relationship. All that said, condensed the story on his, uh, I guess it would have been about, he was about 83. I was 46 and I was interesting. I was 46 and the Lord put it on my heart to start reaching out to him more and making more regular phone calls. And, and every time I hung up to say, Hey dad, one more thing. I love you. And I had never said that to him ever. I'm 46 years old, never told my dad I loved him. And, And he would just respond back with, Oh, thank you. Or, you know, that's nice or whatever. And that's fine. And it took about a five-month process there of consistently calling him, just having a conversation with him, telling him I loved him before I got off the phone. It was about about five months before he finally reciprocated uh, for the first time, I love you, son. And then that, that in conjunction with some letters I wrote him and just other things I did that led to a complete reconciliation of a father-son relationship for the last number of years of his life. And he even traveled with me some to some of the churches I preached at, shared his testimony. I preached, so it was like father, son, and Holy Spirit present and accounted for. And I'll say this real quick. The last thing I was there, I, I, I sensed he didn't have much time left. And the Lord sent me back to Minnesota So I got to spend the last four days of his life with him in his assisted living. And the last night I was with him, he muscled himself up out of the chair to give me a hug. He didn't even know how to hug until I started hugging him. Like for real, you know, I had to teach him how to hug. And the last words out of his mouth, uh, Dan, that I I ever heard from him were, were these words. I love you, son. I love you, son. So it was just a great story of reconciliation for those out there who maybe have a strained relationship with their dad right now, or, or, or you know, or there's always hope. God, God's, God's in the reconcile, rest, you know, redemption and reconciling business. He can redeem that relationship. How'd you feel when you put yourself out there and told him you loved him, and then he reciprocated back with, "Oh, that's nice." I, I had, I had no expectations. Uh, one thing I've learned, and still learning is not to place expectations on others or on my day or, but really just to, to have more, I would say it this way, more of an expectancy than expectation, meaning I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how he's going to respond. And if he doesn't respond back with a, with, I love you too, that's okay. You know, I mean, he went all those years without 80 something years without saying it. I can't expect him just to, you know, flip a switch and automatically say it. So my consistency led to him finally saying it, but I was okay with that. I I didn't 
So I, there was no disappointment. I wasn't discouraged. I'm like, okay. I mean, I, I, I almost expected that if you will, but right. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. So it was okay. Yeah. Here in situations like that, like just let God take care of things and give it up to God and let him have his timing. I've had my things where I, you know, years of praying for something specific that seemed like it should happen, but you know, I let myself feel like I should be in control of that. So it's pretty cool that you went five whole months and like, eh, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was, I was determined and, and yeah, it, just like, like you said, you know, just going to trust the Lord on it. And of course he, he brought, and then I tell you another really kind of cool story too, is when I first gave my life to the Lord, because I didn't have a, a dad grow up, I can remember my early walk with, with Jesus of like, how, how do I love a dad? He's right. Because he's our Abba, right? He's our heavenly dad, our heavenly daddy, our, our Papa. And I thought, how can, how can I love a dad? I can't see when, when I don't even know how to love a dad, I could see. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after the reconciliation, I remember we were in Iowa. It was, uh, I think I being inducted in a hall of fame up there. Dan, Dan Gable, um, Olympic wrestler has a oh, museum yeah. and hall of fame up there. And, and he was with me. He traveled down from Minnesota with me. We roomed together. We were roommates. It was pretty cool for the weekend. And, uh, he was up in the room taking a nap and I was, I vividly remember I was sitting on a bus bench outside the hotel and I had like an aha moment. I'm looking, looking at the hotel and I'm thinking about him up there taking a nap. And I'm like, okay, okay, God, I get it. I get it. So you reconciled this relationship with my dad so I could have an actual physical example of what it looks like to have that love relationship with a father. So I would, so I could better know how to love you as I learned to love him. And it was like, wow, God, you're so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. And it's amazing how you can continue to learn how to love more and love better. And wherever you are, it's like, there's still another level yet. And it keeps revealing itself. And it's tough for the guys whose earthly father isn't, well, none of our earthly fathers were Jesus, but <laughs> we all fall short. Yeah, they're, they're right. They're all imperfect. Right. And, and, and the unfortunate thing in many cases is our view of God, the heavenly father, you know, if we had an angry earthly dad, then in, in many cases, because I've worked with a lot of men, I minister to a lot of men working, then their view of God is an angry father. Right. And, and so it's interesting how an earthly dad, what a role a dad plays and not only how we relate and treat, treat wives and children and family and for, you know, friends, but how we even view our relationship with God and then how our children and others then then view that relationship. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I remember a time when I was going to church as a younger guy, younger kid, and there's a little fire and brimstone being pre preached at church. And at the same time, my dad got angry a little bit, like visibly. And I felt like God had that angry God, you know, thing. And yep. my dad changed a little bit and the, the church services changed a little bit a few years later. And I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. God's a loving God, forgiving God, graceful God. And my dad also, I, you know, a lot, a lot of teenagers weren't the perfect uh, model child. And I certainly had some things where thankfully my dad, you know, did the right things as a father to help guide me in the right way. But 
through him, I was able to have a great relationship with God by not seeing him as, as opposition or trying to keep me from great things or things I wanted to do. Yeah, just such such an important role. And we, we really do. We play an important role in the over in the overall, you know, scheme of things. Yeah. So you you obviously had uh, the pro wrestling thing and back then like heavy metal and those big bands that, you know, you knew behind the stage what was happening, or at least you thought you knew what was happening. And I picture that NWA lifestyle where you're the ticket that you also had that rock and roll lifestyle. One, 100%. I mean, it it was a lot of parallels there and just in the entertainment, entertainment world in general. Right. And, you know, whether you're a a movie star, a rock star, a wrestling star, a football star, I mean, at that level, essentially everything's available at your fingertips. And, And so, you know, depending on, you know, what choices you make, what decisions you make, you know, that can certainly be good or bad, but it's all right there. It's all right there available, every bit of it. Mm-hmm. How has that played into how, as you transitioned and started following Christ? For me, I feel fortunate in that, like, truthfully, like I never, that's not to say I, ne- I never drank alcohol, but I, I never acquired a taste for it, for example. I I never enjoyed the taste of beer, you know, liquor, hard liquor. Uh, I joke and say, you know, I used to drink the foo-foo drinks, you know, the girly drinks. If I said, you know, I can mask (laughs) the taste of the the alcohol. And uh, and so it's not that I never drank, uh, but I never acquired a taste for it. Never really, honestly, really enjoyed it. So when I gave my life to the Lord, it, it, for me personally, it wasn't hard to give up. That that's a be, between an individual, you know, their decision and, and the Lord. But for me, I, I know He called me to live to a certain moral standard, a, a standard of excellence, and 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 I didn't want to, you know, in any way you know, cause a brother to stumble or fall. I know even recently, Lex uh, at our last camp was sharing with the guys that he goes into a lot of, he speaks a lot of rehabs and different things, and so. You know, he, he says, I don't want to go in there and have those those guys trying to overcome alcoholism or drugs or whatever. Go, well, Lex, so do you do you drink? Do you drink alcohol? Do you? He goes, I want to be able to say no and say no truthfully. Again, don't want to cause a brother to stumble or fall on the drug side of things. Fortunately, I, I've never I never got I never got hooked up that at any point in time. I mean, you know, whether it been cocaine, marijuana, you know painkillers, pills, not, none of that, wow. fortunately. Yeah. And so unfortunately, a number of my peers that, you know, some of whom names are pretty familiar did go down that path. And I feel died at a very uh, premature age because of those decisions and combining a lot of those things together. And it led to, to, uh, I believe premature death, but so I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate that I didn't have, you know, part of my story isn't I, I overcame drugs and alcohol. Like I said, my, my dad was a 25-year alcoholic. So in one sense, when I say it's kind of a blessing in disguise, he wasn't in the home. You know, if I had watched him get drunk every night, I, I don't know. Maybe I would have felt differently about alcohol or whatever, right? Um, but I didn't have that influence. 
But when he got saved, I mean, he was delivered of, of alcoholism and, and, you know, instantly, instantly he was set free. And again, for your audience, I mean, if you struggle with something out there, if you're struggling even right now, even as a believer, I, we all have different struggles because we're all imperfect, right? But man, if you're struggling with alcohol, with, with drug, with pornography, I mean, there's nothing God can't set you free from. Nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you you really were blessed not having your father around for 25 years, stepping into the lifestyle and the people that you hung around. You know, I, Ivan's got some pretty fantastic drinking. St- Ivan, uh, <laughs> your tag team partner. Uh, uh, Uncle Ivan, Uncle Ivan. Yeah. 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 He's got some pretty fantastic drinking stories out there that are very public. Well, I'm going to tell you what, he's, he's an amazing testimony too. Like, right. So he and I traveled together exclusively the first two, two and a half years of my career. So I knew uncle Ivan's lifestyle inside and out. Right. It, which is interesting. So he had that lifestyle as well as, you know, a number of other wrestlers, but yeah, we traveled together in the same car, shared a hotel room together, but I never indulged in any of that. I just, I had no interest or desire. And I wasn't even a believer yet. I just had no interest or desire. A year and a half after I got saved, I felt prompted to invite him to a revival and evangelist from South Africa. He showed up. I didn't know he was there until I saw him at the altar. Wow. And and he surrendered his life to the Lord. And it was a it was one of those transformations, Dan, that that night, through that decision, he was set free of alcohol, drugs tobacco. I mean, he used to do he like a, a pinch between his cheek and gums. You know, he used to love chewing tobacco, man. He was set free of all of it. I don't know that he even said another cuss word after that night. Wow. Went on to become an ordained minister. And uh, yeah, he was a testimony of a changed life that night at the altar. That is amazing. So Dusty Rhodes has always been a guy that also fascinated me. He wasn't always on every week. He wasn't always featured, but he would just show up and had this mystique about him. And I know you and Dusty, obviously, with uh, the super team and him being the American dream, you the Russian nightmare. I think he gave you the nickname. Yeah, it kind of it kind of came off of, you know, we were working in what we call an angle, you know, he and I against each other. And, and I was like, you're the, you're the American dream. Well, I'll be your worst nightmare. And that's kind of where the, Oh, Russian nightmare kind of came from because Ivan was known as the Russian bear. So I needed a nickname anyway, American dream. I'll be your worst nightmare. And, and that's, that's where that kind of originated from. And and then when I made the switch, you, if you want to say, I saw the light (laughs) and became a good guy. And we, we teamed up as the, the, the super power, if you will. Yeah. That's the road. The American dream, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Nikita and I, we're the super power. Yeah. Everybody loves to imitate Dusty, right? You do a fantastic Dusty Rhodes imitation. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed that. But, and, uh, and it was fun spending a couple of years up and down the roads with him. I just fell in love with the man and, 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 you know, got to know him behind the scenes and, and just enjoyed, you know, the time I got to spend with him. Yeah. Wow. What a character. Any, any stories about him that, that jump out top of mind? I, I mean, he just, you know, he, he said he had a certain mystique about, he, he had what I call uh, an intangible, an intangible. 
I think way, way, way back when it was, a guy, I think it was a guy named Jimmy the Greek that they used to do this uh, football thing and he's, they go over the pros and cons and then they say, here's the intangible, why I think so-and-so might win, right? Dusty had an intangible about him that, that, that a charisma, if you will, that just drew people in to his character and to who he was. That's not to say everybody loved him because that just wouldn't be realistic, but he, he just had that, especially when it came to interviews, like when you watch those interviews, Dan, those weren't scripted. Those were 100% like spontaneous improv. Our era back then, we, they didn't hand us scripts. We just, <laughs> we improv basically everything, you know, from the interview to the matches themselves for the most part. Dusty was a, I mean, he was, you know, in my world view, a genius in, the, in that realm. I mean, he created the, the Great American Bash. He created the war games. He's the one, he was the brainchild behind the best of seven series against Magnum TA for the U.S. heavyweight title. That was part of his creation. He just had that knack. If there was one regret that, that he and I didn't do, we would fly on, on, we had these private planes we'd fly on, he and I, and we'd always look at back in those days, the USA Today want ads, and we look at land out west, like Montana, okay. Idaho. Yeah. We're like, man, let's let's go in, let's buy some, let's buy a thousand acres together, so, you know, and we'll divide it up or whatever. And, and I'm like, yeah, 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 let's do it. We never pulled the trigger on that. And now I'm looking back going, man, I, I wish we'd bought some of that. Pro- I would love to have a cabin in the mountains of Montana or something, you know. Yeah, but, no kidding, no kidding. Yeah, so great memories of Dusty, though. Yeah. Yeah. I always enjoyed watching him. When you first came on the scene, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is horrible. How did those Russians get this guy? They're going to destroy us. Like Ric Flair has got no chance. Like I didn't really, I I like Ric Flair, but on the other hand, I couldn't stand him either because of how conceited and pompous and everything he was, but he was our guy. So I was going to stand by him. And then you showed up and like, oh no, this is horrible. Now to find out that you couldn't wrestle a lick. <laughs> Your first match was 13 seconds because you didn't know any wrestling moves. So they staged it. So you won. <laughs> Just that's it. Yeah, that's what I said. It was a crazy introduction. No amateur wrestling background. No professional training. You know, I, I show up after, literally after a five-minute phone call with the promoter, Jim Crockett Jr. And I drive to a city I'd never been with all the things I own to my name. Uh, on a five minute phone call and showed up the day he said to be there without another conversation in between. And he took a look at me and remember the statement at age 12, one day I'm going to look like one of those guys in the magazine. Well, at age 12, I might've been a hundred pounds dripping wet with rocks in my pocket. I mean, I was not a big kid. Fast forward 12 years. The day I walked into Jim Crockett's office I was 285 pounds, 8% body fat with a 34-inch waist. And I look back and think he must have saw dollar signs, you know, rolling through his eyes if he thought I could work at all. They put me right on the interview set. They introduced me to Ivan and Don Cronoda, the world tag team champions, put me right on the interview set, said, you don't speak any English. I'm like, just stand there, look mean, have your shirt off. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then we finished all those interviews. They said, be in Raleigh, North Carolina tomorrow night. 
uh, the Dorton Arena, you're going to wrestle on television, having never been in a ring. And so needless to say, you know, it was a, a bit nerve wracking, but I pulled it off without messing up. And then the rest was kind of history as the old cliche goes. It was a meteoric career. 13 months after that debut that night, I'm wrestling Ric Flair for the world heavyweight title at the Great American Bash. Yeah, it's crazy. I was so upset for you because you, he just, he got disqualified at one of these championship matches and you finally get the belt. And then they say, no, 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 that's not the way this one works. This one, the disqualification can't be a belt transfer. He lost, right. but it can't be a belt transfer. He can't, can't lose a belt because of a disqualification. Like you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, we had a lot of classic matches together and, and, uh, you know, it's the one belt I never held. And, and, and people ask me, you know, do I regret not having that championship? Uh, a little known fact is Rick offered it to me two different times. So, and, and I'm one of the few guys probably in the history of wrestling that actually turned it down. I said, yeah, you know, thanks, but no thanks, Rick. And, and so even though he, he offered it to me and it was just a timing thing. And, and, and I was at a place where, you know, I, I was like, I, I don't know that I need that. You know, my character was over. And uh, and so no regrets, no regrets on, on not saying yes and, and taking the belt. So when you transitioned out of wrestling, some people have said the Barry Sanders of professional wrestling, you're at the, the kind of pinnacle of wrestling and wrestling dollars exploded. So the wrestlers started getting paid a ton of money because it went international. What was that transition like and thought process and what was going on in your life where you, you made that switch? Well, from a, from, again, from a young age, you know, one of my pet peeves was athletes who hung around too long. I just feel like, you know, why, why can't these guys retire? You know, I'm like, Joe Montana, you look better in a 49er uniform than you do a Kansas City Chief uniform. You know, yeah, you've won yeah. Super Bowls. What do you have left to prove? You know, kind of thing. And I get it. I mean, I was an athlete. I get you want to compete. And I, I get that. But for me personally, I remember in my childhood saying, when I make it, and I didn't know it would be pro wrestling, but I said, when I make it one, one day, I'm going to walk out on top. I want to walk out as a champion. I want to walk out, you know, with my health and, and all of that. So I told Don and Ivan when I broke in, I'll be out of active in-ring wrestling by the time I'm 35. And they're like, no, oh, you know, no, you won't. You know, and I'm like, yes, I will. And so when I made the decision, I was 33, getting ready to turn 34. I, I did suffer a couple injuries in my last match. I was, I was wrestling a, a big dude named Van Vader, yeah. Vader for short, 450 plus pounds, like legit, a big guy. He injured my neck. I didn't know until the next day, but I had a hernia. I ended up having hernia surgery. I was rehabbing my neck. So it wasn't career ending, but I was rehabbing over Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. I'm like, I'm done. You know what? I'm done. This would be a good time to walk away. You know, I'm going to get, I'm getting ready to turn 34 anyway. What do I go back for six months or nine months or a year? Now nah, I'm done. And so it was right before, as you said, the explosion of pay-per-view and, and Monday Night Wars and Nitro and all that. In fact, Lex, when he first heard I was leaving, he's like, in his own words, I think he said, that guy's an idiot. That guy's a moron. What, what's he doing? You know, because guys went from making, you know, thousands of dollars to, to, like you said, multiple millions and millions of dollars. 
and tens of millions of dollars. And I walked away from all that. And even looking back, again, no regret, no regret on that at all. Now, I didn't know 11 months later, I'd find myself in an altar surrendering my life to the Lord. But when I look back and think about the, the literally the millions of dollars that I gave up or walked away from, when I think about the last 28 years and all the people that I've had the opportunity in some way to impact, like Ivan, the story, like Lex and, and uh, Sting and, and many others, a number of other guys in our profession and, and people just around the world, you can't, how do you put a price tag on that? You can't. You can't put a price tag on that. So, you know, where I didn't necessarily store up treasures on earth and millions of dollars here, I do feel, Dan, as though I'm I'm storing up treasure in heaven by being faithful in my walk uh, and to be obedient to what God has now asked, called me to do. Was your transition somewhat smooth leaving wrestling? Yeah, it was no fanfare because, like I said, I did get injured that last that that last yeah, night, yeah. and but there was no fanfare. There was no you know retirement party, no celebration on their part. You know, they tried to even take advantage of it, saying, "Oh, you know, Van Vader put Nikita out of wrestling." And I will say to Vader's credit, years later, I was doing an autograph signing at a WrestleMania, and he sought me out and came up and he said, "Hey, I, I just I've never." told you, but I, I just want to ask you to forgive me, uh, tell you, I'm sorry that I hurt you that night. And, uh, so to his credit, you know, he, he, he did say that he didn't have to do that, but, but he did. And I had no animosity towards him in any way. He had a reputation for being reckless. I knew that, but I didn't hold anything against him. You know, I, it just, it just sent me, uh, you know, it just sent me into early retirement. If yeah. You know. Yeah. We're, so when you got away from the crowds and all that, that transition was just okay? Or, or did you have some challenges there? Well, you know what's interesting? Because so I spoke with the accent, right? Right. And I did that for nine years, you know, from 84 to 93, 24-7, anywhere in public. So I would be speaking like this in public. I mean, I would have been carrying the accent, comrade. And anywhere and everywhere. So when I retired, I'm like, how do I transition out of that character? I mean, do I, do I just one day go, hey, you know, I had a gym, right? Do I just walk in the gym one day, one day and go, hey, how's everybody doing today? You know, I'm <laughs> like, no, I can't do that, you know. So I actually maintained that persona. And part of it was the old school mentality of protecting the wrestling yes. business as well. So I carried that persona for about three more years post-retirement. And then what I did was I just kind of slowly phased the accent away. And nobody really made a big deal out of it, I'm sure. But they probably all, they all knew anyway, I'm, I'm sure. But nobody said nothing. Nobody made a big deal. And, and then eventually, you know, I just went back to talking, you know, as myself. You know? That's great. So you just brought up Sting. <laughs> talk about sting for a bit and your relationship with him and and that a, another uh solid believer christ follower he gave his life to lord august of 1998 I, I like to think i had a little bit to do with that in night in december 95 they were wrestling in charlotte north carolina i had not seen them since i had left wrestling so it'd been about three years now i'm on fire for the lord right i get saved 
17 October 1993. It's now December 95. I cornered him at the Coliseum for about a half hour. I like to say I, I spewed Jesus all over him, man. I was like, ah! And he's like, I, dude, I got to go for a match. I'm like, we'll continue this conversation. And, and he talks about this on, on my when I interviewed him on my podcast. Uh, I'm like, we'll continue this conversation. He goes, I walked away going, oh, no, we won't. <laughs> I've heard enough. And uh, only to find out, you know, he gave his life to the Lord in, in 98. And then, and then I had an opportunity with him for, I say, about five years, about once a quarter to fly out to, to his ranch and, and just pour into and invest and, and sow into him and his sons and, and, and just build a great relationship with him outside of, uh, of rest of my, my younger girls, Kendra and Colby, you know, did some things with, with his, his daughter, Gracie. And, and so we just, uh, we built a great relationship uh, with, with each other and, and still have that relationship today. And of course, you know, the, the wrestling career, the matches both against each other, Russian chain matches. Um, quick story about Chicago. He and I had a Russian chain match and I had a, I love to wrap a chain around the guy's neck and throw him over the top rope and, you know, illustrate that I'm hanging him. Well, the key to that is get your fingers between the chain and your neck so you can breathe. Well, it happened so fast. He wasn't able to do that. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like working the crowd and looking around. I'm like, wow, he's really putting this over. And little did I know that the chain is cinching up tighter and tighter around his neck. And he's like, dude, I was like, seconds away from passing out when you finally release the chain and, and so uh, you know we we talk about we talk about that moment uh, on on the interview and, and he reminds me of it often and and then later on you know i'd be a part of uh, the war games at sting squadron and you know we became friends you know uh teammates if you will and, and but we had our share you know uh, luger when i in the cage match when i when i dropped the U.S. heavyweight title to him, you know, he says to this day that I, you know, injured one of his, ruptured one of his discs or something. It took him months to overcome it, you know. And so, you know, there, there is an element of, of danger to a professional wrestling match. It is entertainment, but there's a very element of danger to it. It's not an exact science. And guys really do get hurt uh, in that business and sometimes more serious than others. But, yeah, the stinger, man, what a – what, what a what a wonderful man of God. Yeah, he just had that persona about him too when he stepped in. Just like when you stepped in, I was like, who is this guy? This guy's a freak. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, he had again kind of that that the intangible, right? You knew you you sensed that there were, you know, that one, there was greatness within him and that he was gonna have a as we know, a long iconic career you know he's still out there doing it kudos to him he's 11 <laughs> days younger than me and i'm like steve just be careful bro just be careful yeah absolutely any idea why so many wrestlers it seems like have turned their lives over to christ either late in their career or after their career was over i think you know in knowing some of their testimonies and and you know whether it's professional wrestling or you're trying to climb the corporate ladder or whatever else it is you know, without a relationship with Jesus, you find even if you make it, even if you make it to the top, you're going to find that it's still very lonely and, and an, an empty, lonely place to be. Because, you know, what again, whether it's alcohol, drugs, you know, 
sex, pornography, you know, success. The only thing God put eternity. He when he when he created us, he he, he put eternity in all of us. In in that, the only thing that's going to bring that true internal peace and fulfillment is is a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship. In fact, I wrote about this in one of my books, Wrestling with Success. You know, I was successful, but I was unfulfilled. Prior with to Jeffrey Gittimer. With Jeffrey Gittimer. Yes, you know Jeffrey. I do know Jeffrey. We've met, we've talked, we've had dinner together. Uh, he's a self-appointed king of sales. <laughs> he, he is. Je Jeffrey, uh, I mean, we have such a great friendship and, and just love Jeffrey. Uh, the short version of that story is years ago, he and I crossed paths. He was a major wrestling fan. I would, I knew of him. Of course, he 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 was he knew my career. We 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 hit it off. We went to lunch. We we hit it off and, and became just have become the best of friends. You know, stayed many times at his place in Charlotte, and and of course we co-labored together on wrestling with success on that book. And and I've done a number of of podcasts and interviews and and training, you know, sales training stuff for him and with him. Yeah. And, and he, he is a, he'll, he'll introduce us as he'll say, I, I'm the Jew and he's the Gentile in this relationship. And, and uh, so he, you know, he's old, I'm old Testament. He's new Testament. So we have, fun, we have fun with, you know, with, with that whole, with that whole thing. But um, yeah, Jeffrey is uh, amazing. But, but in that book, I, I talk about, you know, being, successful but unfulfilled and so i think many of the guys directly to your question have you know were successful but they too were unfulfilled all the baubles and trinkets and millions of dollars that they made still left them empty inside and came to the realization what's going to bring me true happiness or what's going to bring me peace and joy and they found out figured out it's that personal relationship with jesus guys listening you probably just heard that but just in case you missed it we're talking about kind of reaching the the peak the pinnacle and guys still feeling like they're missing something in episode one uh the navy seal he talked about how he got to be a navy seal and he was never so depressed as the very next day he reached the very top and there weren't any other mountains to climb that were higher than the one he had just climbed and there wasn't anything else left for him to do on this earth and then it took them a while to figure it out, but it's a, a Matthew Kelly says there's a God sized hole in each of us and only God can fill it. So we've got to let yes. him in. Yeah. So we've got to let him yeah. in. Yeah. That's uh, I like that God sized hole. That's, I guess my, my, that, that's what I'm saying. What, that's what I'm referring to when I say, you know, we put eternity in all of us and, and that desire for something more and that's something more is that relationship with Jesus. That's, that's the only thing that's going to, that's going to bring it. And, and we were talking about this the other day, you know, the a number of guys, part of their testimonies, man, when I made that decision, just this peace came over me that I had never experienced before, or I had never felt before. And, and it's hard to describe that to somebody who's never experienced that. Right. Uh, like I said, there's a big difference between exposure and experience. I mean, we can be exposed to the gospel. We had a guy, i tell you uh, a story, Dan, we had a guy, our last man camp that uh, came to me one morning, well, he came to me at lunch and he said, hey, I want to share with you what happened this morning. 
And he started tearing up and he goes, he goes, I, I was out of my devotional time. I was reading our book and God spoke to my heart and said the, these words to me. He goes, he goes, Greg, he goes, you got saved in your head, but you've never invited me into your heart. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know you that, that way. And he goes, I just crumbled to my knees. He goes, I wept like a baby out there. He goes, I, I got saved this morning out of my devotion. I go, Greg, how old are you? He goes, 69. Oh. I go, how long have you been in church? He goes, most of my life. He goes, and I'm chairman of the deacons. Oh. And, and, and I was like, wow, chairman of the deacons, 69 years old, in church most his life. And God says, you got sick saved in your head, but you've never invited me because it's all about the heart, right? You said right. you put a God-sized hole in all of our hearts. And, and it's because it's about the heart. It's not about how much knowledge you have, how much you attain, how much scripture you memorize, you know, how many times you go to church, you grew up in a Christian home, you, you had Christian parents, you went to a Christian school. It's not about any of that. You know, heaven, it, your your entrance into, into heaven isn't dependent upon your heritage. It's a, dependent upon you making a personal decision. And Dan, I thought to myself, how many other people are like that sitting in church week after week after week, year after year that, that are saved in their head, but the story has never made the 18 inch trip from their head down to their heart. And Jesus illustrates this in the book of Matthew, when people come to him one day and say, hey, we prophesied in your name, we raised the dead in your name. We did all. We went to the men's Bible study in your name, the ladies' social in your name. We attended church every week in your name. But he's going to say to some, but I never knew you. Because that story never made the 18 inch trip from the head down to the heart. And there was never a real genuine transformation. Doesn't mean they might not have been a good person, you know, uh, done lots of good things, philanthropic things, all kinds of things, you know. Wrote books, did all kinds. <laughs> but man, it's it's about the relationship. I can't emphasize that enough. I've got two daughters, and uh, we had a, a book author on. He wrote a book called Thriving Girl Dad. His name's Brian Young. He's got four daughters, and he wrote a book about his four daughters. And you've got four daughters. What what type things did you try to speak into their lives, and what type of influence did you try to have? Yeah. Well, first of all, yes, I, I survived four yes. girls. I, survived. I, I hear you there. Uh, mine aren't quite in the teen <laughs> years yet. So I survived is, is you've got two just, just, just think in your mind, just double that, whatever you're experiencing with two, just go, okay. Nikita had twice this. Yes. Experience. Yeah. It, it's, I guess for me, you know, I joke, I say, you know, I swam in the estrogen ocean for years, right? Emotions play a factor with girls, you know, but what I tried to, to instill, well, and model for them is like, I, I was very intentional uh, every week to have uh, a daddy-daughter day, daddy-daughter time. And, you know, obviously at different stages of their life, different ages, I did different things. I mean, when they were single digits, you know, was Chick-fil-A playground, you know, I mean, you know, it, it was, yeah. you know, but as they, you know, maybe became teenagers, it might've been a, a date at the, at the mall and, you know, take them to the store and buy them a new outfit or something, or, you know, or go take them bowling or take them, you know, take them to a movie or something. So we did things that, you know, together, but I also tried to make sure I had individual daddy daughter time. I went to their schools. I went to their, 
you know, some of them were cheerleaders. Some of them played sports. I went to their events. I went to their, you know, their plays when they were in elementary school. I, I went to their school and had lunch with them. Uh, when they got older and said, dad, you don't need to come to my school anymore. <laughs> I still went, picked them up and took them to lunch and brought them back to school. Um, read them Bible stories, prayed with them, prayed with them before I dropped them off at school. So it was a very engaging dad and very intentional uh, to, to do things with them and, and do my best to make them feel important mm. um, and, and that they could you know, whatever they, they could dream, they could achieve if, if they really wanted it. And so I was tried to encourage them that way as well. Um, and, and, and really incentivized, uh, especially the older girls, incentivized uh, their, you know, again, readers are leaders, right? So I encourage them to be leaders. And, and so uh, I would I would put out there that, hey, if you read uh, X amount of books and you read just a little summary about it, I'll give you X amount of dollars just as an incentive, mm-hmm. you know, to get them in that habit of, of reading and, and, and becoming a, you know, becoming a leader uh, from from a and, and they're all grown up now. They're in their 20s and 30s. They're all on a very healthy path in life. They're all grounded and got their feet on the rock. So I'm very fortunate to have four girls in today's world. I married off the last Colby, the last one earlier this year. So oh, wow. they're all married. They got godly men taking care of them. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that. And then that's led to nine grandchildren currently and counting. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Something I found, uh, found funny. You legally changed your name to Nikita. <laughs> I, I did. It's, again, it's part of the persona. Remember, right? I said, I don't, I don't speak Russian, but I, I learned to sign my name in Russian. Uh, I got this workbook, this Russian workbook, and it had like a cassette, you know, and and uh, it, it had some Russian on it. I'd listen to that. Ivan and I would listen to that cassette up and down the highways, you know, on way to towns. And I thought, you know, if I really want to get this character over, you know, I've got to, I've got to legally change my name. And, and so I did that. And in fact, you know, the girls became Koloffs and until they got married anyway. <laughs> and uh, that's just that's just what I did. And and people will ask me, though, is that your real name? I'll go. I'll go. Yeah. And then someone will think they'll go. Well, you speak like pretty good English. That's like, <laughs> is that your birth name? I go, well, that's a different question. And they're like, well, what's your birth name? I'm like, you have to buy the book for that one. I can't give you that for free. <laughs> you know? Anyway, so I just have fun with people, you know, that whole deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that you were known for selling out to your character. And then I saw that. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And yeah, well, you- that, and that's yeah, that's uh, I, I mean, I think that's part of because obviously I had a much shorter career than 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 some of my peers. Right. Ric Flair and others that you mentioned staying and, and even Luger. Luger had a 15 year career. And, and really, some have said even though I had such a short career, it seems like it was a very impacting because um, here we are all these years later that I am removed from wrestling, and at least in terms of active wrestling. I'm still out there doing, you know, legends, autograph signings, comic cons, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Um, but I, I attribute to, that, that that success to how serious I was about getting that character over, maintaining that persona, and and making that impact the, the impact I did on 
on the on the wrestling world you know and so i feel very fortunate very grateful that uh people that people still want my autograph all these years later oh, you know it's just yeah. uh, you know just a, a a very humbling thing and i know you weren't christian back then when you were wrestling but that's an example of having excellence at work just commitment to excellence and i like to apply that in all areas and then as a christian we use that to glorify god so uh, it's important to be excellent at work and develop yourself in your character because you can use that in other areas of life as well yeah 100 percent. and and anyone who knows me or you know knows me well knows that you know if if i'm in i'm i'm, I'm all in i mean you know if, if i'm gonna one day want to look like one of those bodybuilders i got to be all in and do if i want to you know play professional football i got to be all in and, and and of course that actually led to professional wrestling but even then i'm going to be all in i'm going to be a world champion and when i surrender my life to the lord i'm like i am not going to be you know a pew warmer bench warmer you know i'm i'm all in and so you know i went on mission trips i helped build churches and bible schools and chaperoned youth you know youth trips and and uh, and and now you look back and and I've you know I've been to 30 different countries, all 50 states. I've I've preached in about 1,200 churches. I've written three books currently. I've got a podcast, a radio show. Getting ready this afternoon. I'll film three episodes for a for a new a Man Up TV show. So I'm just trying to take all of my past experience, my love for the Lord, and just see how many people I can potentially impact for God's kingdom at this point. That's, that's, that's the, the motivation for me now. And as you said, to do, to do everything I do with excellence. Yeah. So even if you're not a believer, you know, you can, there are plenty that, that, that aren't that still have that, that desire to do things with excellence. And you're right. That's what we should do. No doubt. No doubt. So there's a couple of things. One, I messed up because we haven't talked road warriors at all yet. And then there's a couple finishing questions uh, as we close out, but I don't know if I'll give you an opportunity to say anything you want about the road warriors. Legion of doom, animal <laughs> and hawk. Ivan and I had some classic matches against them, especially some of those Russian chain matches. They, they, they were, they were, uh, Everything you imagine they might be in when you look at their physiques and their their physical bodies. And a little quick backstory on Animal. I recruited him out of New Brighton, Minnesota, Irondale High School to play college football with me. Played for a couple of years. He ended up dropping out. I ended up finishing graduating. And, and next thing I know, he got into professional wrestling. He's got this mohawk and paint and all kinds of stuff, right? He ends up he ends up being the one who called me to tell me about this, the, the character for Ivan, you know, the nephew for Ivan Koloff, yeah. this nephew. So in a sense, he recruited me into wrestling. And then we would later, of course, become when the superpowers teamed up, you know, they, we had some classic matches, those war games with the road warriors and the superpowers against the four horsemen, right? Lex and Tully Blanchard, who is also another sold out believer, by the way, um, oh, nice. just interviewed him for the podcast that hasn't aired yet. But, um, uh, you know, Arn Anderson, double A, and you could have, I don't care what combination, if it was a single match, a tag team, a six man, an eight man, a war games, you would not have a bad match against the four horsemen. They were, 
they were consummate professionals. And so, yeah, Legion of Doom. There's my quick uh, insight on the Legion of Doom. All right. All right. Anything else you want to throw out there for the guys, just uh, advice, tips, or, or something for Christian dads to take away? I think it's just important. You know, one of the things between the, you know, our, our conferences, our one day conferences, which, you know, our goal, our goal in that conference is, and obviously you can only give them so much information in, in a handful of hours, but we want to give them a, a, t- a really kind of a taste of what the full camp is like. And in, in that sense, our goal, whether it's the conference or the camp, our goal is to help teach, train, equip, empower, and then deploy men back to their homes, back to their communities to be godly men, godly husbands, and godly fathers. I strongly feel like manhood and masculinity have been under such attack over the last couple, three, four decades. So this is not overnight. This is over decades that that manhood has been attacked. And, you know, the part of the moniker, it's time to man up. Right. And so we want to, we want to see men living holy lives. You know, I like to say whole men, you know, W H O L E whole healthy men living holy lives, wholly available unto the Lord, making themselves available unto the Lord to serve their families. Well, to be a servant leader in their family, to serve their families. Well, impact their communities and ultimately do everything they do unto the glory of God. And so that would be my challenge uh, to men in kind of closing this out is, is set your gaze on that, make it a desire or de- be determined to accomplish that. And I believe you're going to hear at the end, when it's all said and done, well done, well done. thy good and faithful servant. It uh, brings tears to my eyes every time I I hear that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, wow. Yeah. And then your website is uh, NikitaKoloff.com, I think. Yeah, there's a shortened, there is a shorter version, just uh, Koloff.net, just Koloff.net. Okay. Uh, but either one will get them there, NikitaKoloff.com or Koloff.net. I call it kind of my one-stop shop. In other words, they can go on there and connect to, they can certainly learn a little bit more about my wrestling career, but they can also uh, link to my podcast. They can link to and learn more about the, the man camp that Lex and I co-facilitate. They can connect with me on all of social media. Some of the books we talked about today in my life story, the one with Jeffrey Gittimer is available there on, on the website. And so it's all really right there. Koloff.net or NikitaKoloff.com. Perfect. Well, well, we'll link those in the show notes. And you just mentioned a challenge. Can you bite-size that down and put that into not the whole thing, but a part of it into something the guys can do this week between this, this episode and the next episode coming out? Is there some type of a actionable item where they can stop, write it down and do something this week? Yep, absolutely. You know what? Uh, set a goal over the next seven days to to do one random act of kindness, and and ideally for somebody you don't know, one random act of kindness. And while you're at it, maybe speak a positive, encouraging word to that individual. It can be a cashier at the grocery store. It can whatever, whoever. Just set a goal over the next seven days, each day for the next seven days, 
to do one random act of kindness and maybe also speak a positive, encouraging word to that individual. There's a call to action. That is a fantastic one. And guys, if you do that, you have no idea what your week might be like. It might be one of the most memorable weeks of your life. Be salt and light. Go out and be salt and light, guys. Absolutely. Well, Nikita, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And then just literally giving all of your life to the Lord. So this is, this has been amazing and thankful you and your father reunited and, and he spoke those words to you guys tell your kids, you love them all the time. He's, you heard how beneficial and blessed that was for Nikita redeeming that earthly relationship so that he was restored and had a, a greater love for the father. Uh, just amazing. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me on and God bless all of, all of your listeners out there, your, your audience. And it's just an honor to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the journey of a Christian dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light, shine that light out and let others see it with you guys. Part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself be accountable to God and Jesus. Hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. Hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray, amen. Have fun, guys.